0: He was alone. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors in his book, Out of Solitude. By the way, whenever I mention an author, this is what I do. When I listen to other preachers and they mention a book and I actually get, you know, encouraged and challenged, I I actually read some of these authors. You should read Henry Nouwen. He's an, anyway, this is what he says. In the center of breathless activities, listen, we hear restful breathing. Surrounded by hours of moving, we find a moment of quiet stillness. In the heart of much involvement, there are words of withdrawal. In the midst of action, there is contemplation. And after much togetherness, there is solitude. The more I read this nearly silent sentence locked in between the loud words of action, the more I have the sense that the secret of Jesus' ministry is hidden. Everybody say hidden. Hidden in that lonely place where he went to pray early in the morning before dawn. And you see the power of Jesus' hidden life when you see what happens in the next verses. Simon and his companions went to look for him and they found him and said, everybody's looking for you. In other words, what are you doing here? We don't have time for this. Do you know how popular you are? Do you know the way that people want you? You're popular than John the Baptist. This is your chance. And look at what Jesus does. Something majority of us would never be able to do. Because most of us would be like, I'm that popular? They want me? Really? He says, let us go somewhere else. What? To a nearby village. What? So I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Listen, Jesus emerges from a time of silence and solitude with a clear sense of direction. How many of y'all need direction in your life? He comes out of it and he goes, I know exactly what I need to do. He comes out of this time in the hidden place with a clear sense of his identity and his purpose. How many of y'all long for a clear sense of your identity and your purpose? Yes. And my favorite part, Jesus emerges out of this hidden place with a sense of clear boundaries. By the way, that made him more Compassionate. So I'm reading uh, and listening to someone named Brene Brown. Anybody? Okay, so. Yes, if you don't, all the women are like, yes, all the men are like, who? She specializes in vulnerability and empathy. She's a social researcher, right? She makes this powerful case that boundary people are the most compassionate people. Which is counterintuitive. Because you think, no, the more compassionate people are people who never say no. Who allow themselves to be pulled and pushed by anybody. And she makes this powerful case. No, 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 no. Boundary people who know how to say no are the most compassionate people. Why? Because they're not resentful and bitter at saying yes to all the things that pull them and push them. Boundary people are more compassionate people. Choose discomfort over resentment. Say this with me. I will choose discomfort. Come on, say it with me. I will choose discomfort over resentment. When you feel uncomfortable saying no to somebody, say to yourself, I choose discomfort in this minute. Then resentment towards you later. Hidden place. The power of the hidden place. Today we're launching, uh, I don't know, usually when I do these sermons here, I get two responses. There are people who go, go longer! And the other people go, that's enough, dude. So I'm thinking three weeks, depending on how long it's going to take me to preach First Kings chapter 17, and primarily 19. That's our primary text because we are going to be talking about silence and solitude. Henry Allen said this, let's put this quote up here. Without solitude, it is almost impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to him. Here's what I've known for 20 some years in ministry. The people for whom God is most real are people who could hear his voice. And the people who could hear God's voice are people who are really good at listening to God. And the people that are best at listening to God are people who have learned to be silent. I absolutely agree with Henry now. I have yet to meet a Christian with any depth, who does not regularly get away for times of silence and solitude. You know what many of us are doing? We are living what I call a secondhand spirituality. We are feeding off of others. And you have yet to nurture your own spiritual walk. Let me say this again, because you're not going to take me seriously. If on a daily basis, you are not getting away for some time of sound solitude, I guarantee you you will hit maybe already have a ceiling in your intimacy with Jesus. The problem of course is that this is almost impossible in our culture. This is almost impossible. Let me me explain or define what silence and solitude is, okay, before we go on. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things in order to attend to God. Let's say this together. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things in order to attend to God. Here's what silence is. Say this together. Silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God. Silence, I think it was Henry Allen said this, deepens our solitude. Silence completes that time of solitude. Silence and solitude. Most religions experience and practice some sort of silence. The difference for us is those words. We are silent, not just Empty our minds, but to attend to God. To attend to God. There are a number of scripture passages that talk about this. We're going to skip right through that because I don't have time today. This is when you need to go. Take your time, Peter. Come on, guys. We did this. Take your time, Peter. But I'm going to skip that. Okay, today, because I'm going to go straight to why this is so hard, and this is. You don't need to take notes. This is common sense. Why? Even as I talk about this, what we're, we're doing, this. some of us, silence, silent, silence, silence, silence. You can't even just sit still. One, we're addicted to noise. <laughs> I know addicted is a strong term, so, you know, I just try to find, how many of you woke up with an alarm clock? And is your alarm, is your, clock, is your alarm clock silent? Does it? No. What do you wake up to? What ringtone? What do you wake up to? I I wake up to sound of a breeze. That's what I wake up to. Okay, So I wake up to sound of a breeze. And here's what normally happens for most of us. We wake up with an alarm clock. Noise. We turn on the TV or the radio in the background. How many of you get into a car and when you commute, you actually turn on the radio? How many of you need to have music in the background when you work? How many walk into the house and without even knowing it, you just turn on the TV? How many of you are uncomfortable when you're with a group of people, as researchers say, We can't stand more than 15 seconds of silence. Try that next time. Try that. When you're out with your friends, go, okay guys, for the next 15 seconds, we're just going to be quiet. I guarantee you there'd be some fool in that group like, I can't handle this. (laughs) Why? We are, say it with me, addicted to noise. Secondly, we are also addicted to words. Not just the secular culture. In the church, we are a wordy, heady faith tradition. You love listening to sermons. You love Bible study. You love theology books. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But here's the problem. The problem is when we come to realize that if without words, we can't, have you, just even in relationships, how many of you realize that sometimes the epitome of intimacy is that you can just what? Be with someone and there'd be no words exchanged. You know what that's like. I, I, I know. I'm looking at Moody students, Trinity Seminary students. You're like, "This is my life, dude." No, no, no. Do you know what it's like to have no words being spoken or heard, and just to be silent and say, "I'm with Him." Third, we're addicted also to people. There's nothing wrong with being in community. There's nothing wrong with friendships. I talked about that last Sunday. But some of us literally can't stand being alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book on community said, let him who is afraid to be alone beware of community. Do you know what he meant by that? He said, if you are somebody that cannot be alone, you are a danger to your community. Why? Because you're going to look to them to fill you and meet needs that only God can. I'm going to tell you right now, The best thing you can do for your community of friends is to learn silence and solitude. Fourth, and this is the killer of them all. We're addicted to doing and being productive. What have you done for me lately, Peter? We live in a performance-oriented culture that what? That rewards productivity. We live in a culture that says you're being unproductive, you're useless. I'm going to, some, some, somebody's here this morning. Your worth does not equal your usefulness. Can I say that again? Your worth does not equal your usefulness. That is a lie that our culture says. Your worth is equal to usefulness. Your worth, my worth, is found in God's love for us. Not what we do. But we live in a culture. Do you, know, do you know how much I struggle with this? This is why I have a hard time praying. It's not because I don't have time. I have a hard time praying because it feels unproductive. And if prayer feels unproductive, my culture says, why are you doing it? There's a salt on your identity from our culture that says, you're only as useful as how much you produce. So we are busy doing, busy doing, busy doing, noise, 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 noise. And silence before God just simply seems like nonsense. This is where the story of Elijah comes in. And it's radical. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I realize like, CC is like my sidekick. Have you noticed that? He is like, he is like I'm Conan and you are my Andy. you Andy Richter, you know. David Letterman, you are my Paul. You are Paul. You are Paul. You're Paul. I love talking to him. First Kings chapter 19. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna spend the next three Sundays in story. Anybody excited, by the way? I love preaching in the Old Testament. I should do it more often. Story of Elijah. There's a difference between reading a story and living a story, and I've been living the story of Elijah. Elijah is one of the heroes of faith in the nation of Israel. Elijah is one of the three people that appears on the mountain of configuration, transfiguration with Jesus. Elijah is on Mount Rushmore of heroes of faith of the nation of Israel. But yet, the author James says this about Elijah. Check this out. James chapter 5 verse 17. Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that he would not reign and it did not reign on the land for three and a half years. In other words, what James is saying, what separated Elijah, what separated Elijah, is not that somehow he was more spiritual than us, somehow he was more mature than us. What separated Elijah is this pattern that we're going to see in his life. You Ready? The pattern is this. He goes away into the desert, into a hidden place of silence and solitude, where God shapes him and forms him. Then God says, now go out into the world. So the pattern we see in Elijah's Life, 17, 18, 19 of First Kings, is into the desert. God works on him. Out of the desert into the world. Into the desert hidden place God propels them out into the world here's a principle that I need you to jot down for the next three weeks our activity for God can properly flow from a life hidden with God our activity for God can only properly flow from a life hidden with God. I don't care who you are, mom. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't none of us can effectively minister unless we are finding ourselves regularly in that hidden place where we find ourselves in the presence of God being shaped by him so that we could be used by him. The reason why this is critical is this, you cannot give what you do not possess. You and I cannot give what we do not possess. And unless our life is regularly hidden with God, our activity for God and our activity for God will often be more about our need to feel significant, our need to feel affirmed, our need to feel our identity. Unless you are finding yourself regularly hidden with God, unless you're nourished in your entire interior life with God, our sense of worth, our sense of validation will shift from God's love for me to what I do, how useful I am. I'm going to say this over and over again for the next three weeks. You cannot give what you do not possess. If you try and give without this hidden life from God, it's going to lead to burnout. Elijah finds himself regularly into the desert, out of the desert, into the world. Into the desert, out of the desert, into the world. I heard this maxim growing up. Someone said, only he who has learned to be silent is prepared to speak. There's another maxim that I followed, and that is, only he who has learned to be silent is prepared to lead. Think of how often God does this to his leaders. Jesus, you could argue, spent 30 years in silence before he spoke a word. Moses, beat him by another 10. 40 years in the desert. Paul, soon as his conversion... He goes into the desert of Arabia. John the Baptist, majority of adult life in the desert. Activists, 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 because contemplators right now are loving this. They're like, yes. Activists, what I began today with, you, do you really think that on your own strength you can go out into the world and make a difference? Do you really think, apart from this hidden life with God, You have what it takes. I have what it takes to be agents of reconciliation and justice. Do you really, really for a moment think that without this hidden life with God, that you and I can make a dent in the world out there? We need you for the long haul. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And the way to stay engaged into the desert, out of the desert, into the world, into the desert, Out of the desert, into the world. In chapter 17, early in his ministry, God sends Elijah into the desert to shape him, form him, change him so they can go out into the world. It's this hidden life with God that we're gonna look at that propels him in his public ministry. Now, background, real quick, and then we're gonna look at a couple passages we're gonna take communion. The background in 1 Kings 17 is this. Nation of Israel has gone through these spiritual cycles, and that is this. They worship the one true God, then they go through seasons in which they're worshiping many gods. One true God, many gods. Until a deliverer comes. And when the nation is in spiritual delay, this deliverer in the form of a judge, a king, or a prophet. Their ministry turns the nation around to repent of the sin of idolatry. And they begin to worship one true God again. First Kings chapter 17. Who's in charge? A guy named Ahab. He's married. A queen named Jezebel. Who is, is another. Uh, yes. There's, yeah. Jezebel. Jezebel is the daughter of the priest king of Tyre and Sidon. Here's what you need to know about Jezebel. Jezebel is a devoted worshiper of the Tyrian god, god Baal. And what Jezebel does when she marries uh, Ahab in one of these political alliances is something that's never been done in the national of Israel, and that is this. She institutes the worship of Baal as the official national religion. She sets up seminaries to worship Baal and to raise up priests for Baal. Jezebel will hire cabinet picks to essentially oversee all the government rules. The entire nation of Israel in total spiritual disarray. It's in this context that Elijah comes. By the way, can I just, uh, can I just throw this out there? We're talking about a time in which it is an extremely lonely and even dangerous to be a follower of God. Can anybody relate? Here's what I mean by that. It can be incredibly lonely to be a follower of Christ in your workplace if you're the only Christian and everybody else in your workplace mocks Christians. It could be incredibly lonely to be a Christian if you're the only Christian in your family. It could also be incredibly lonely to be a Christian if you feel like you're the only one working for justice and fighting for justice in our culture. We're talking about a culture in which, you guys, listen, it's not just uh, 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 being persecuted. It is deadly. Literally, there is... A price on Elijah's head to be a follower of God. And yet, Elijah emerges in this context to change the trajectory of a nation. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Check this out. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Essentially, Elijah is saying, our God is the one true God. Our God is the one true God. You think Baal is, and Baal is the fertility God, which means they're looking to him for produce and for fruit and so on and so forth. And essentially, Elijah says, our God is the one true God. Worshiping Baal is not where our nation needs to be. He confronts the king and he confronts the queen and says, our God is worthy of being the only God. And just to show you that he is the one true God, it's not going to rain for the next three years. So Elijah ministers. Powerfully. And then look what happens in verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave. Turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine, east of the Jordan. He preaches a powerful word and God says, now go hide. The word hide, by the way, in the Karis Ravine, literally means to conceal yourself or to absent yourself. Understand this. The entire nation is falling apart. Elijah could have said, I don't have time to go hide. Do you understand what's happening to our culture? We don't have, I don't have time. Elijah is the one person, it seems like in the nation, who is spiritually alert to God and hear the voice of God. He is the one. Why? Why? God says, go hide. Silence and solitude. Go hide. And what we see, and we're going to see next week, in chapter 18, as a result of this, Elijah goes against 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 prophets of Esherah and God's power moves. It's the most amazing, they should make a movie out of it, most amazing story, some of you know, in the Bible. That is preceded by what? Silence. Solitude. Hidden place. Do you know what happens in silence and solitude? Solitude. This is, I think, what happened to Elijah, what happens to all of us. First, and this is why, by the way, some of you will not do this. And I'm taking a risk by doing this, but I need to do it, because I need to speak truth, amen? Here's what's going to happen to all of us when we go silent. You ready? You ready? You ready? Number one, we come to the ultimate realization. We come to the realization that God, God, God is. We realize the ultimate reality that God is. What do I mean by this? I'll be quick. Every single one of us, deep down inside, is an eternal infinite emptiness. There's a deep void in us. St. Augustine talked, deep void in us, an infinite emptiness that only God can fill. And in silence and solitude, you realize how much we distract ourselves from coming to grips with this reality. When you're not doing anything, we are not producing, your soul begins to go, there is an infinite void in my soul, and I'm grasping at relationships, I'm grasping at success, I'm grasping at you. I'm... You realize that behind all of our desires is a desire for what? For God. Two. Silence and solitude. rips us of our false self. And we're laid bare. Do you know why we're so busy? Do you know why we're so active? Because for some of us, if we just stood still, all of a sudden, all the emotions we've been repressing, anger, resentment, bitterness, start bubbling to the surface. shame guilt over what I did I haven't forgiven myself I'm painfully lonely who wants to feel that so what do we do busy active you know what else happens to me I'll tell you this see some of y'all like oh heck no I'm not knowing that by the way if you repress your emotions Eventually, you leak. And you know who gets hurt? Your wife, your husband, your children, your friends. You think you could just bottle it and it won't go anywhere? I was saying, you know what else happens to me? I realize how much my identity is found in what other people think. I realize how much my significance and worth is found in what other people say. Why? Because Peter's productive. He's good at th- I am doing nothing but being attentive to God. And God forbid, all of a sudden, I hear that voice that says, what value, good art. Can I just say something? It feels like death. But we are people of faith that believe that there is no resurrection without death. You want to be free? You want to be authentic? You want to be true to yourself? Your false self needs to die, and it dies in the desert. Third, I have like nine of these, but I only want to do three. Because if I did all of them, you'd be like, oh, heck no, I'm not doing that. Okay? Third, third, we realize we are not in control. act of silent solitude is the discipline of letting go. You're not doing anything. You're not producing. You're not achieving. How many of y'all love to be in control? Stop lying. How many of y'all love to? How many of y'all function from the perspective of, I know where I'm going, I'm in control of my life, I'm in control of your life, I know the will for my life, I know the will for your life, I know the will for everybody's life, and God forbid, if any, I am in control. Silence and solitude says, "You are not in charge. you are not in control. You are not doing anything to move and change. And for most of us, that reality that we are not in control, we would rather live with the delusion that we are. And so I'm going to busy in that and do but in silent solitude you come face to face with reality you and I are not in control do you know what you're going to hear when you go into time of silent solitude listen please pay attention for the next few more minutes you're going to hear And come face to face with the living God who will say to you, will you trust me to take care of that while you're away with me? Will you trust that I am more capable of doing your life and your family's life and your kid's life than you are? Will you trust that your usefulness doesn't equal your worth and even though you might seem indispensable that the work that I'm about to do in you It's a thing that I need in order to use you for the kingdom. In silence, you will come face to face. Can I trust that God is really who He say he is? No wonder nobody wants to do it. It's one thing to read the Bible about casting our cares upon the Lord. It's another thing to sing songs about God is able. It's another thing to let go and say, I trust you. As heck to that, God. I'm going to be silent and alone. Do you know what happens to me when I do this? Some researchers said that you and I, we process six to 7,000 thoughts a day. That's one every six seconds. I kid you not. When I do this, all of a sudden I go, I need to do laundry. I need to do laundry. I need to do laundry. Where the heck is that coming from? All of a sudden, when I become really quiet, do you know what else comes? you know what else comes? My to-do list that was like six, all of a sudden goes 12, 20. Like, just... I, and this is crazy. Like, people and things I haven't even thought about, like in years, will pop into my mind. I'm like, what? I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, what is that? Do you know what that is? Listen, do you know what that is? It's called spiritual warfare. Hey, 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 Do you even think for a moment that this is all about, you know, Peter, that's a wonderful sociological analysis. Do you know that there is a war for your mind? When you, what happened to Jesus in the desert? Peace and quiet? See, see, see? This is terrible preaching. I am telling you every single reason why you don't want to do this. But you know what? How many of y'all, for once in your life, would love to live free from bondage to what other people think? How many of you would love to walk away going, I am set free from needing your affirmation? How many of you walk away going, my identity is found in being, not doing? You really want to continue status quo? Can you trust God? Can you trust God? Can you trust God? And that's the thing I love about Elijah's story, and we're almost done here. Okay, look, look what happens. Look, I love that. I love this. Take your time. For those of you that don't want me to take my time, let me hear you. Don't take your time. I need to go. I got lunch appointment. Okay, I'm almost done. Look at what happens. Look at what happens. Look at what happens. Verse 3. Look what happens. Look what happens. Can you trust God? God says, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. And verse 4. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had said to him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The raven then brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the book. Do you know what I love about this? I love it. You know, God, can you, take, can you take care of me? Can you, can you take? God goes, of course I'm going to take care of you. You know what I love about this though? God takes care of him daily, not weekly, monthly. I mean, you love that? God goes, know hey, what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some bread and meat in the morning and then at night. If I'm Elijah, I'm going as the raven comes with the, you know, at night dropping some bread and meat he's going I'm like you coming back tomorrow right <laughs> you come back tomorrow right <laughs> i'm totally serious i'm like you come cuz god said so do you know why do you know why god does this to remind you and me he's got you daily it's not you that's producing It's not you and me that's taking care of things. Do you for a moment believe that it's up to you and me to meet our needs? Are you kidding me? God goes, let me make it crystal clear that you will not eat or drink unless it's ultimately me. I'm going to provide for you every day. So you can get away for a You can get away for a bit. Here's what we're going to do. Y'all were given envelopes when you came in. And you thought we were going to ask for more money. No. I'm going to give to you. This is a, everybody look up here. Please, please, please. Look, look, this is what we're going to do. You ready? This is what we're going to do. Just, is what we're going to do. we're going to do. See, for me... For me, I'm a hand-to-paper kind of guy as much as I use my computer. Do you know what this is for? This is what this is for. Listen, listen, listen. Literally, for most of us, the only way, the only way we'll be able to get away is to what? Say it with me. Trust. Trust that while I'm away, God's got that thing that you're worried about. He's got it. He's got it. So for me, literally, literally, the first act is to write, and I, you're not gonna do it here today. This is for you. Get, take it home. It's to write trust. I'm, I'm gonna do it right now. I'm gonna do it right now. Check this out. Write. Don't judge me for my bad handwriting. I'm gonna write trust on this envelope. I'm gonna take another sheet of paper. And I'm going to list the things that I am just obsessively worried, obsessively distracted, obsessively, God, I'm going to write it. And what I'm going to do, listen, listen, I'm going to fold that soccer paper. I'm going to put it in the envelope. I'm going to put it aside. Are you listening? I'm going to put it aside. I'm going to say, God, in the next, and I'll talk more about this, you guys, I promise in the next two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, we're talking specific specifically next week. Well, in the next two, three minutes, well, I'm just silence. Even though these thoughts, I trust you. You're going to provide water. And by the way, it was a small brook and not Lake Michigan. Another thing I love to, right? It's like, you really depended on me, Elijah. You know that, right? Well, but God, I work so hard. Well, would you have the job without me? Well, but I work so hard. Would you have the health you have without me? So God, I'm going to trust you. And here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to gift you. You know what we're going to do? We're literally going to practice silence before we take communion. And I know we're going to do it all wrong, you know. You're going to jack it all up and the control nature in me. I'm going to, because I needed to preach on how we do it, but I skipped that part because we don't have time. I'm going to look at somebody and be like, no, that's not how you do it. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. CC, come on up. He's not going to play. Listen, listen. I got my timer. Where's my timer? I got my timer. Here's. I am literally. I'm literally. Shh. I'm literally going to give us. Three minutes. Three. Whole minutes. Okay. For you. Some of you. Who haven't done this ever. To be. And then, listen, I'm gonna give you instructions and then I'm gonna, three minutes, check this out, three minutes. Couple things as you do this, okay? Couple things. Don't worry about the dots, fl- oh, distractions that come to mind. Give yourself grace and simply go, okay, God, I trust you. Okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. Some of you, in your silence, internally, You might want to pray, Come Holy Spirit. Some of you simply might want to say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Some of you, as we've taught you throughout the years, spiritual breathing exercise. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Three minutes. And then, I'm going to call you to take communion. Here's the thing. When I do, you are more than welcome to just sit longer. There's going to be no music. Only words you'll hear is body of Christ broken for you, blood of Christ. That's it. And when you're ready, come on up. And then at some point, we're all going to sing a hymn together. And see, so see, if we could just sing a cappella. Just the voices, that would be even more beautiful. So here we go, church. Ready? (gasps) Three minutes. Church, three. Listen, listen. It's Sunday. You're already thinking about Monday. Do you really believe that you can trust him in these next three minutes? That God's got you. Here we go.